singing, would you remain standing for the reading of the Word of God? Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first epistle of John? That's 1 John chapter 5. We'd like to read five verses of Scripture responsibly this morning. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 10. Now I will read the three even-numbered verses. Would you read with me just two verses, please? Verses 11 and 13. That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 14, and reading responsively. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not that the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Spirit of God, take these wonderful verses and speak to every heart of every child of God this morning. Lord, if there be one here that knows not Christ as Savior, we know that they can only be quickened by your Spirit. And so we pray for your unction in their heart and life even now. Bless the children downstairs. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5 for the 33rd time in about 40 weeks. We looked at chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. We preached a message entitled, I know God and his love brings confidence. Perfect love casts out fear, the Bible says. We preached a message a few weeks ago from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And there we find the word nikeo, or we know it as victory. And we preached a simplistic message entitled, I know victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no victory outside of Christ. And then we had a very deep doctrinal study last Sunday. We looked at 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 through 10 specifically. We saw a key word, which is the word witness, which we'll pick up with in this moment of time here in just a minute. But we discerned that I know Jesus Christ is God. He's not only the Son of God, but he's God the Son. Very key cardinal doctrine of the Word of God. In fact, the foundational doctrine of all of God's Word is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice verse number 11. If we have a text first, it would be verse 11. The Bible says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, period. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. On purpose, as easy as we can make it this morning, notice the truth to know. The in-your-face truth I know, I know that when I leave this world, and it's probably sooner than you or I think, at least for me, I know that when I leave this world that I'm going to heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were so, not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am there ye may be also. I am going to heaven. I've never been there. But I'm going there. I know I'm going there. And I'm going to live there forever. 
we can't comprehend how long forever is, but we quote that Psalm, Psalm 23. The last verse says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and help me out. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hey, just time out for a second. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to impugn you. Anybody here, though, been discouraged this last week? Don't raise your hand. Anybody get disheartened? Anybody have a bad day? Don't raise your head. Don't say yes. Don't do it. But you're all there, I know. And I say to myself, I hate to admit this, but I still get discouraged from time to time. I still get down in the dumps. I still get disheartened. And I say to myself, pardon me, wake up. You're going to heaven for your whole entire eternity, forever and ever and ever. The worst days of my eternity are right now, and they're pretty good days. God's been so good to us. So I know that when I leave this world, it's only going to get better for all eternity in a place called heaven. I'll live there forever. And I have witnesses. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 19, verse 20, 15, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. I have witnesses to this fact that I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I want to give you the message proper this morning. Only two points. The witnesses to life everlasting. How do I know that I have life everlasting? Two witnesses we found in this text. First of all, I want you to notice, first of all, the witness scorned. The witness scorned. Now, not by me and hopefully not by you, but by many. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, we ended the middle part of verse number 10 last Sunday morning. Let's pick it up right in the middle of the verse. He that believeth not God hath made him a, what? Help me out, class. Liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. We saw last week the key word to verses 5 through 11 is the word witness or testimony or the word record. It's the same Greek word or derivative thereof of the word martio, we get our word martyr from. And it's a witness uh, of the truth and uh, a truth even to die for. And I want you to notice this witness scored two things about this. First of all, the, the record of his son. We looked at it last week. We won't go into any great detail. But this is the record that has been given is the record of his son. There's two records that we have of his son. And the first record is that of general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. I left the house about 4.15 this morning, and, and there was a beautiful full moon, full moon out, and then I don't know my planets, but I just figured, I just learned this, just real, or I was reminded again, that those, there's a North Star, but the first stars that come out that, that you see in the, when it's just getting to be twilight, and, and the last stars to leave are our planets. Now, one of you astronomers can help me out. I don't know if it's Mars or Mercury or Venus or Jupiter, but there was the moon, and there was another star just uh, about 10 inches away from the moon, from my, from my eyesight. And I saw, and I, it, was, uh, it was already warm this morning at 4.15, about 75 degrees out, I think it was, 72, something like that. And I saw the glory of God in the moon. I saw the glory of God in the firmament. There's the general revelation. You can't look outside and say, this just happened by happenstance. 
No, this is not a coincidence. This is a God instance, everything you see. And so there's general revelation, but then there, I want you to notice there's specific revelation. We're talking about the record, the record of his son. This record is scorned by many. The name that's despised more than any name is the name that we find in Genesis 1.1. And we've seen Revelation 22.21, the last verses of Holy Writ, the first verse of Holy Writ, from Genesis 1.1 to the end of the Revelation. Jesus said it this way in Luke 24.44. He said to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, These are the words which I have spoken to you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, that's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, and the Psalms or the writings, those are the poetic books as we know them, concerning me. The Bible tells us, and I'm trying to tell you from Genesis chapter 1-1, in the beginning God, that's Elohim, the gods, but only one God, God manifested in three persons, John, Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our own image. And we get to Revelation twenty two twenty one, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All the way through the word of God, we see the specific revelation of Jesus Christ. In Genesis, he is the creator, the seed of the woman, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb and the Shekinah glory in the cloud, the manna and the riven rock. In Leviticus, he's the great, our great high priest. In Numbers, he's the red heifer, the serpent on the pole. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is the, he's the deliverer of his own. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the ark and the rejected king uh, brought at last to the throne. In the Kings and the Chronicles, he reigns as Solomon in splendor and glory. In Ezra, he's the ready scribe. In Nehemiah, he's seen in every single gate of the city. In Esther, he is the one who provided salvation. Uh, in the Psalms, we see him in almost all the Psalms. In Psalm 1, he's the blessed man. In Psalm 2, he's the son of man. In Psalm 23, he's the shepherd. In Psalm 22, he's the suffering savior. In Psalm 24, he's the king of glory. In Psalm 8, he's the perfect man. In Psalm 45, he's the mighty God. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom incarnate. In Ecclesiastes, he's the, the, he is the forgotten wise man who saved the city. In the Song of Solomon, he is the shepherd who was won the Shunammite heart. In Isaiah, he's the lamb led to the slaughter. In Jeremiah, he's our great sufferer and the Lord our, our righteousness. In Lamentations, he's the one acquainted with grief. In Ezekiel, he, he sits on the throne. In Daniel, he's the one cut off in the stone which the builders refused, made without hands. In Hosea, he's forgiving, long-suffering husband. In Joel, he pours out his spirit upon all flesh. In Amos, we see him as he stands on the altar. In Obadiah, he ushers in the dreaded day of the Lord and stands on Mount Zion. In Jonah, he prefigures his death, burial, and resurrection. In Micah, he is seen as the one to be born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's the great avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the holy one of Israel. In Zephaniah, he brings kingdom blessings. In Haggai, he builds the temple of the Lord. In Zechariah, he brings the apocalypse. In our great high priest. Uh, in Malachi, he comes, his coming is heralded by a forerunner, and he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, we see him as a servant of Jehovah. 
In Luke, the Son of Man. In John, he is the Son of God. In Acts, he is the ascended head of the church. In Romans, he's our righteousness. In Corinthians, he's the first fruits of the dead. In Galatians, he's the end of the law. In Ephesians, he is, he is all in all to his church. In Philippians, he is the form of God and the one who supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, he is creator, the sustainer and owner of the universe. In 1 Thessalonians, he comes again uh, for his church. In 2 Thessalonians, he comes to judge the world. In 1 Timothy, he is the one mediator between God and man. In 2 Timothy, he is the judge of the living and the dead. In Hebrews, he's the great antitype of all other types, son, prophet, priest, and king. In James, he is Lord of the Sabbath. In 1 Peter, he is our inheritance and the shepherd of our souls. In 2 Peter, he is the one from excellent glory. In 1 John, he is the incarnate word. In 2 John, he's the one who prospers our souls. And in 3 John, the one for whom name's sake the gospel goes forth. In Jude, he's the preserver, the only Lord God, the only wise God, our Savior, glorious in majesty. And in Revelation, he is the lamb and the lion and the king who's, is to, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. He is, as Revelation 19 and verse number 10 says, worship God for Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We see Jesus all the way through the word of God. If you can read the word of God and millions do and not see Jesus, you've missed the whole, the whole emphasis of the entire book. Jesus is found in the word of God every page, every, every verse we see him. Uh, it's the word of God is, is he's the incarnate word of God. He's, we see have a specific revelation that is uh, undeniable. And so we have this, the record of his son that's scorned. But then I want you to notice the, the Bible says in verse number 10, the latter part of the verse one more time. If we believe him not, he's made him a liar. If he that believeth not God have made him a liar because he believeth not that the record that God gave of his son. Notice the refusal of his son. To refuse the Lord Jesus Christ, and millions do. John three eighteen reminds us, he that believeth on the son is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned, do you know it? Already. Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. In verse 36 of the same chapter, the word of God records, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth, is present on him. You see, there's the record of his Son, the witness scorned. But then the body of our message, verses 11 through 14. Notice with me the, the witnesses stated. The witnesses stated, these testaments, these, these record bearers, testators of the truth, and the record that's stated, the witness that's stated. Notice for me, first of all, the witness, verse number 11, the witness of the sovereign. The Bible says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. The witness of the sovereign above. Verse number nine, back up and look at that once again. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. You know, millions of parents who let their kids go off to, uh, millions of them will go off to college this fall and they will trust their children for four years with professors that supposedly know the truth. And we'll pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to have our children educated by professors. 
We mentioned it last week. We'll pay, when we were getting in trouble, we go to a lawyer and we'll pay him tens of thousands of dollars in some cases to tell us, to give us good guidance. We go to our doctor, we do the same. The Bible says if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. God is this witness of God. There's some things that God cannot do. It's impossible for God to sin. It's impossible for God to lie. The Bible says in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God has, that cannot lie promised before the world began. In Hebrews 6-18, by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation. You see, first of all, there's the witness of the sovereign himself, the sovereign from above. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. But then, and we looked at it last week in detail, and we'll just uh, uh, review just a little bit and move forward. There's the witness not only of the sovereign, but there's the witness, secondly, of the spirit within. Of the spirit within. The Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit of God, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Spirit always bore witness of Jesus Christ. He points men to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The Spirit is the one that quickeneth. The Spirit is the one that points men to Christ. It testifies of Christ. And the Bible goes on to say in Romans 8, 16, we quoted it last week as well. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now let me do this quickly, but I want you to know there are some birthmarks of being born of the Spirit. There are some evident birthmarks that say that you're born of the Spirit. I'm probably starting to overuse my dad in illustrations, my human father. But I was, two weeks ago, I was with dad and mom. Dad's soon to be 82 years of age. I'm not, I don't mean to be harsh. I love my dad, but he looks 82 years of age. And uh, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I'll say it again. I can look at my mom and dad and say, I have their DNA. I am from them. And uh, my dad's had 82 years, and Dustin informed me this is not being taped this morning, which is a good thing, but they wouldn't hear it even if it was taped. They, they're uh, kind of archaic in regards to that. I won't want dad to hear this, but I looked at him, I was sitting down next to him, and I looked over and I saw his face, and I says, that's what I'm going to look like in 20 years. I'm already starting to look that way. I have his birthmarks, I have his characteristics, his traits, and I think I'm, I'm aging faster than he aged when he was 60, I don't know. But there's some birthmarks of being born of the Spirit. Look at chapter 2, let's review very quickly by looking at five verses. Chapter 2, verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is what? Born of him. And so the first birthmark of being born of the Spirit is the practicing of righteousness. The practicing of righteousness. We're born of the righteous one. Secondly, look at chapter 3 and verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Notice, secondly, a second birthmark of those that are born of the Spirit is that he or she doesn't walk in continual sin. 
Let me meddle for just a moment. The older I get, the more I realize this truth. I've prayed with hundreds of people over the years. I'm not saying that breakingly or boastingly, but I'm just telling you the fact. I've prayed with several hundred people at least what's called the sinner's prayer. I've helped them through the prayer or they've prayed themselves and asked Christ in their heart or I've, many times I've had them repeat after me, but I said, you need to meet it in their heart, your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to pay for my sins myself in a place called hell. But I ask right now that you please forgive me. Come in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Make me a child of God. Take me to heaven when I die. And that person repeats after me. I've had many people profess Jesus Christ with their lips that I'm afraid as years go by, I can tell by absent birthmarks that they don't possess what they said they professed. It's one thing to profess Jesus. It's another thing to possess him by, for where the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and where the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You tell me, in another way to say this, what I'm trying to say is there are people that live in constant sin that claim the name of Jesus Christ, and year after year goes by and you don't see a change in their life. I'm telling you, I can look at them and say they do not have the same birthmark, the same born-again experience. They don't have the same spirit in them that I have in me. And so there's the birthmark for those that, yes, I'm still a sinner, but I don't want to sin as a child of God. And all God's people said, by the way, amen. I think that's true. No, let me rephrase that. I don't think that's true. I know that's true. Jesus Christ be in you. He's the hope of glory. He's our righteousness. We don't live in continual sin. Verse Chapter 3, verse 14 says it this way. Another character trait. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. That was verse 12. It was great verse 2, by the way. But verse number 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. I don't say this braggingly. I just say this to the glory of God. I can honestly say in my heart I love every single Christian that I've ever met, that I know. Now, I've had some Christians that have done me wrong. You've had some Christians that have done you wrong. By the way, we don't want to admit it, but maybe we've done some other Christians wrong. And the fact of the matter is, when you have God's love in you and God's spirit in you, you can't help but love the brethren. It's innate. It's part of you. It's in your DNA. And then chapter 4, verse number 7, notice the fourth birthmark. The Bible says, He that loveth God, or pardon me, beloved, let us love one another, for loveth of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. There's, uh, everyone that's born of the Spirit loves God and demonstrates it. See, you prove your love by your works. Do not raise your hand on this one. How many wanted, do not raise your hand. How many wanted to come to church this morning, do not raise your hand. Now, I know many of you would raise your hand. But if we were all honest in this world room this morning, there would probably be a few that say, no, I didn't want to come. I came in out of duty. Hey, good for you. Good for you. How many of you don't raise your hand? How many wanted to give an offering plate this morning? Don't raise your hand. Many of you could raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Some of you are honest. Say you don't want to raise your hand. I don't want to give. But you gave anyhow. Good for you. See, that's a form of works. That's a form of worship. When we worship the Lord by our sacrifice, yes, God loveth a cheerful giver. 
but you can't help, but you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Love God and demonstrates it. You have a love for God. You can't get away from the things of God. Then number five, the fifth birthmark that we see in this book here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The fifth birthmark is, is you're an overcomer of the world. This world can get us down. This world can, can discourage us. But we overcome the world. In the end, we win. In the end, the world does, can't have us. In the end, we are more than conquerors for him that loved us. And so there's the witness of the Spirit. But then verse number 12 of our text, back to 1 John 5. He that hath the Son, verse 12, hath life. How simple can that be? And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life or everlasting life in heaven. Notice, thirdly, or let her see on our worksheet, notice the witness of the Scripture. The witness of the Scripture, the witness of the Word of God. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Friday night, we had a couple that was here, and they wanted to see the church from another church, another gospel-preaching church, and sometimes we lend out our church and let folks get married in because they don't have a proper church building, shall we say. And so I was touring these first-timers around our building and seeing the auditorium, and they were commenting how beautiful the outside was, and inside they were just thrilled, and down the stairs fellowship hall. And we went out, on the, we were on the carport, and they were walking to their car, and they're from out of town, and uh, they'd never been married before, of course, and so they, uh, they didn't know how it worked. And I said, now you need to, oh, don't forget to get your marriage certificate. And I think the light bulb went on, like, they never thought about that. I said, no, you can't get your marriage certificate if they're from out of state. I said, you have to get it in New Hartford, Connecticut, if you do it right. You've got to have a record, a, a certificate. But, you know, there's certificates and, and, and contracts that people have that, that uh, don't hold water, don't hold, that, that, uh, that are easily broken. Contracts are meant to be broken. Co- covenants are meant to be broken. But this is the record, the Holy Scriptures. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This, this record is not to be broken. And it goes on to say, verse 13, These things have I written unto you. What things? The word of God. That believe on the name of the Son of God. That ye may, what's your next word, class? Know, not think, but that you may know, that you may know that ye have eternal life, everlasting life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, there's the witness of the Scripture. And fourthly, letter D, there's the witness of the saint on earth. You see, the, the saint said, John the, the revelator said, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. I want you to know, back up to verse number 13 again, the last half of the verse, that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Three things about this witness of the saint. First of all, there's the conviction. There's conviction. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? John 16, 8 says this, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When I was that 11-year-old boy invited to church by the Ladigo family, I talked to Bob Ladigo. He's a widower now, just last night. He's in Florida. He's preaching this morning as I'm preaching. 
Latigo family brought me to church and we came to a Friday night revival meeting. I've told the story at least 180 times. Here's 181. And I sat in that second row with center aisle. I sat right there in, near outside of Cleveland, Ohio. I had my Cleveland Indian Swahoo baseball cap on. The preacher preached an old-fashioned message on hell. I didn't want to go there. I, 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 I knew I deserved to go there because I was, the preacher told me I was a sinner. That's all I needed to hear. And I went forward in the invitation. The preacher took me to his back office and I prayed the sinner's prayer that day. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart, be my savior. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Forgive me. I was convicted about my sin. But the witness of the saint begins with conviction, but then it goes on to, the Bible says, by the way, 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. No repentance, no salvation. You must be sorry. I will be sorry, the psalmist said, for my sins. It was my sins that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. My sins said I'm deserving of hell. And allow me to meddle here for just a moment. There's the reason I say this. I won't give you the reason. But the people that believe that they're saved, they believe they're saved and they don't believe that there's a hell to be saved from, I don't wonder if they ever got saved. You want to trust God to go to heaven when you don't believe God that there's a hell? You can't have one without the other. You see, there's a, I was delivered from the wrath to come. I was delivered from hell. I was saved. I was convicted. But then there's, secondly, the calling. The verse says, in verse 13 again, that ye may believe on the name of the, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask. There it is. The calling. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We don't know. We take so many things for granted. I do this quickly. Next Sunday we're going to take time off from our First John series and we're going to preach a patriotic message next, next Sunday. I am absolutely convinced that the vast majority of Americans, maybe sometimes including myself, don't realize how blessed we are by living in this country. I'm absolutely convinced we don't, know, we don't understand how good we got it. I heard a story about Russia this past week. I'm thankful. No offense, Elena, but I'm thankful I didn't grow up and live in Russia. I'm thankful that there's a lot of places around this world that I'm thankful I don't live in this morning. I, I thank God for that. But I... Call on me and I want to ask thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'm so glad that I called. I, I, I don't think we realize how wonderful it is that we've received graces as our Savior and we're going to a perfect heaven forever and ever and ever. We have no idea how what a blessing that is. It'll take us all eternity to figure it out. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the Lord Jesus. You see, there's a conviction, there's a calling. This is fourthly, and it's found right in our verse, verse 14. There's a confidence that we ask anything in his name, he heareth us. And being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. There's a confidence, Jesus said, if ask it, it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. I end with my testimony here and then we'll go to the truth to know.
I, as a teenage boy, and I, just for the sake of maybe, maybe somebody here that maybe is not mature in the faith yet, I'm not trying to be hurtful, I'll just be generic on purpose. But my family didn't go to church anywhere. We were the heathen family, if you will. I was never christened. I was never baptized or sprinkled as a baby. I didn't grow up in church. It was years before I started going to church, and it was only because they invited some neighbors that were concerned. There were two types of churches that we went to when it was kind of a tug of war to see who was going to get the shot family. One denominational church I'll leave unnamed. The other church happened to be a Baptist church. No, there's not salvation found in the Baptist church. Don't misunderstand. But I was, as a young boy, I got saved at a Baptist church when I heard the gospel preached. But then there was another church body of people that were trying to get us to come to their church. And we did. We went there a number of times over the years. And they told me one day, when I remember in Sunday school class, I've given the illustration many times, I was just a boy, and I was 12 or maybe 11 or 10 or something about that age. And uh, the teacher, uh, the question was asked, what would happen if you asked Jesus into your heart, but you sinned before Jesus, uh, and then Jesus came back, or you died with unconfessed sin, where would you go? And I'll never forget the dear, sincere, I want to believe godly lady, but she gave wrong advice. It was an, some of you older folks remember this, it was an E.F. Hutton moment in my life. You could hear a pin drop. Where would you go if you sinned and you didn't get that sin taken care of? And I remember that little frail 75-pound lady leaned over and she said, well, I guess you'd have to go to hell. Man, I tell you what, I'd already asked Jesus in my heart as an 11-year-old boy, but I was sinning like 10 or 20 times a day. And every day I started asking Jesus, and not, not, not just every day, I mean multiple times during the day. I sinned and said, oh, Lord, forgive me. Maybe you'll be your child again. I'm sorry I didn't mean it to do it. I'd do the same sin over and over and over again, whatever it was. And that went on for years. I had this one church telling me that you could fall from grace. You could lose your salvation. You had to hold on. I had this Baptist church people, they're telling me, that salvation was all by grace and you could never lose it. And you, when you ask Christ in your heart, you have everlasting life. All things being equal to this uneducated, unbiblicized little Ohio boy, they all seemed like a bunch of good people to me on both sides of the fence. I didn't know who to believe. I started, I believe it was about a six-month journey, a quest as an older teenager in my 15, 16 years of age. I started to read my Bible for myself and I got an eight and a half by 11 sheet notebooks sheets of paper, and began to write down chapter and verse of verses that seemed to share that you could not lose your salvation, that salvation was all by grace, the grace of God. I believe, I had, I had a small book going, by the way, I believe I wrote down 400 verses. I discovered a book in the Bible that I didn't think hardly anybody even knew about. I discovered the book of Galatians. I started reading verse after verse in Galatians. I, started, I, started, I discovered the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 2. I started reading down, writing down verses. And then for me, one day I was reading. 
I think I kind of did it in order, you know, at least from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John X. And, you know, you do it that way, it's a long time before you get to 1 John. One day I was reading in my Bible, and I was reading in 1 John chapter 5, and I read verse number 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And I remember saying to myself, I think I have the Son. I think I asked him into my heart when I was an 11-year-old boy. And he hath not the Son, hath not life. And then I get to verse 13, and it was like, I, do you ever find something in the Bible you say, man, I'm the first person to ever find this thing? That's how I was. I was like, wow, look at that. I got to show this to somebody. I bet you they never saw this before. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that you believe on the name of the Son of God. And here's what I did. I remember I read it and I says, that's me. Now, I think I asked Jesus in my heart when I was a 11-year-old boy. And I think I've asked him in like 10 times a day since then for the last five years. But just to make sure, and I really did this, I said, that's it. I got down on my knees. I believe I was by my bedside. I don't remember exactly where I was at, but I remember getting down on my knees. I think it was in my bedroom. And I prayed a prayer, something like this. I said, dear Lord Jesus, if I am not your child, if I've never been saved by your grace, I've never received you as my Savior. I now accept you and you only as my only Lord and Savior. And I mean it this time. If I've never met it before, I mean it right now. I prayed that prayer. I got up off my knees. And I think it was a year, two years, three years. It could have been after that. I look back at that point when I prayed as a 15 or 16-year-old boy. And I don't look at that as my salvation. I look at that day, that event, as a day when I got assurance. I believe that I was saved as an 11-year-old boy, not knowing that Jesus was God, not knowing the Trinity, not knowing the virgin birth. I asked Jesus into my heart, not knowing much at all, just that Jesus was the Savior. I asked him in my heart. Five years or so later, I got assurance of my salvation. And I based it on the Word of God. You're looking at somebody that knows he's saved. So here's the truth to know. Salvation is not based on our feelings. It's not based because you feel like you're saved today. You may not feel like you're saved tomorrow. It's not based on your feelings, but based on a reliant faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, and, and action... We must believe and receive him, John 1.12. We looked at it last week. We must receive the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart and life to his revealed word. What are we saying? I could, I could give you the answer in six words. What have I been trying to save this whole message for the last 40 minutes? I have a no-so, K-N-O-W. I have a no-so salvation. I know whom I believed in. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed against that day. Some people may interpret this as arrogance, haughtiness, pride, uh, as if I uh, know it all. But my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the 
solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I know, I know I now have, not waiting to come, I now have everlasting life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm not naive in regards to the fact that I know I'm talking to many people that now already know that they have everlasting life. But Lord, also I'm not naive to think that there might be some here that do not know for sure if they have everlasting life. Maybe they're still trusting in religion. Maybe they're trusting in the church, whatever church it might be. Maybe they're trusting in works, performance, in their church attendance. Holy Spirit of God, strip away all the works righteousness and lead them to the righteousness that's found only in Christ alone. Pray you bless in these moments of invitation. Pray for Christians, Lord. May we thank you for the solid rock which is all of our righteousness, which guarantees that one day we will see him as he is. We will see you as you are. We will be in heaven forever and ever and ever. Oh, we praise you and give you all the glory. Bless these moments of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, take our hymn book and turn to uh, On Christ's Solid Rock. I stand.